Hello, educators of Virginia, and welcome to another episode of Deeper Insights. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of chatting with Sierra Chavis, who is the Chief of Staff for Child Savers, a nonprofit organization we're going to learn a little bit about today. She's also a volunteer on VASCD's policy team. Um, so welcome, Sierra. Thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me to chat. How are you? I am great. I am amazing. The sun is somewhat out today, and <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm enjoying life right now. It's been good. All right. So if if you don't mind, I'd love to know what's what's going on that's making it so great and amazing for you. Yeah, you know, um, just being able to get up every morning, and you know, everything is just going good, and um, I'm able to live and breathe, have no stress. Um, Kids are back in school. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it has been a good week for them. It's been a good week for me. So I think, you know, just being able to get up and say, I made another day, made it to another day. I, I, I so appreciate that perspective. Just, just so, um, just so grateful for, for life period. You know what I mean? You said, I, I get up every day. I have, I'm breathing. My children are in school. So yes. So, um, I, I agree. And I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the ups and downs of life and, and what's going well and, and what's not. And, and just, um, to hear you say like, I, I'm fantastic for these very simple things. Just uh, to so, be able to so, wake up. <laughs> so thank you yeah. for helping me with that perspective. I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, so Sierra, you're the chief of staff for Child Savers. I am. Tell us a little bit about Child Savers, what it is, what it does, who it serves, kind of your mission, your purpose. Um, teach us about uh, Child Savers. I will, yes. Um, so yeah, Child Savers is a almost 100-year-old um, organization. We actually not um, and what we do, we're the only nonprofit um, that solely focuses on children with mental health. Um, and we have so many different, um, you know, sub departments and teams that work to um, help support our mission. Um, and really, those teams are school-based, our mental health, we have our child development team, um, and th that's just to name a few. And basically, they address the issues around mental health. We have a um, very active um, board that really is invested in our mission and being able to support children in the Richmond, Chesterfield, Hopewell, kind of those surrounding um, communities to really um, help not just children, but the families. A lot of times um, the families are also connected because we service children, we say from birth all the way up to the age of 17. Um, and our child development team really focuses on the prevention. So we are in um, child care facilities. We are working with those, um, those, those teachers and teacher assistants and directors to really address mental health with children from a very early age on and do a lot of preventative work with them, um, as well as the families. And then we also, um, another component to that is that we also um, have classes where um, people that are interested in becoming an early childhood educator, they get hands-on training from our um, 
top tier uh, instructors with that. And then we have our outpatient and our school base. So we are in Richmond Public Schools. Um, we are also in Hopewell this year and we're looking to expand, but our list goes on as far as services. Um, and as part of my job is to help keep that mission going, to help the day-to-day -day operations, um, really managing our executive levels and helping them to provide um, and to tell our story, right? So um, mental health is something that is right now big, especially with the pandemic. And we've seen an up um, in our numbers and our cases and the amount of families that are being referred to us because of the different um, and the various needs of our community. We also have a team that um, is boots on the ground. They're actually in our communities when there's gun violence or there is some sort of disaster or some sort of community, um, um, you know, just something that happened in the community and that they need, they need to be on support with the Richmond Police Department or with another community leader um, to support, you know, those families in, in crisis. So I think um, our mission is just, is there and we are there to support our families in any, any way possible, so. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the the, the work, the, the focus, the, the purpose, the mission uh, of what you're talking about here with Child Savers, because, you know, these are, you know, what you're talking about was here before the pandemic. It was obviously yeah. exacerbated by the pandemic. And there have been times um, when mental health or social emotional well-being has been thought of as separate from academic success uh -huh. or academic achievement. But you see them as 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 connected as you you can't really have one without the other and, and and a negligence of one will have an effect on the other so if if you don't mind can you bring bring to kind of bring to us what that connection is the connection between mental health and perhaps learning loss or the connection between the pandemic and social emotional well-being and now that we're emerging out of the pandemic the things we need to focus on i know i just hit you with a huge question there no uh, but just you. really talk about that that connection is really what I'm asking you um, between academics and and mental health and social emotional well being. Yes, I think a lot of times, as you said, Chris, you want to separate the two. Um, I think that there over the past few years there has been this big initiative and push in the state of Virginia for social emotional learning. And when it first became introduced to educators like myself, we were like, what is that? And there was not a lot of training and resources. It was like, okay, this is social emotional learning, you know, incorporate into your academics. And it was like, okay, so we're talking about feelings. And that's not all that's, yes, it's about feelings, it's about emotions, about addressing those things. It's a preventative tool, but mental health is real. And we have to understand um, and you need to have the trainings and the supports in place to really address the those issues. Our kids are coming to school with real issues, crisis. Um, sometimes they're genetic and there's things that are biologically there that, you know, we we're not doctors, we're we're educators, right? So we don't we can't diagnose kids and but we are providing with provided this training to help identify 
you know, we we can tell when a kid is has went through something, right? There 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 are signs that we can we can kind of look at and say, hey, something's not right with that child. Something's going on, and we kind of work through and navigate how do we handle those things in our classroom because um, if kids are are coming to school with these major issues and crisis in their lives, they're not able to learn, right? Like we can't force academics on them when a child just witnessed a gun, you know, violence in their community or, you know, something. And these are real issues where kids every day are witnessing gun violence. They're witnessing abuse. They're witnessing or they're a product of that or they're victims of that. Um, And so those are things that kids are coming to school with. And it's heavy. It's not like these are like really little things. We're talking about death. We're talking about violence. We're talking about abuse. We're talking about kids going to school coming to school hungry and not having their basic needs met. These are things that are affecting their mental health. And so when they come to school and we're pushing these academics on them and we're wondering why there's resistance or why they're not learning or why they're not able to learn, we don't always look at something's wrong. Like we're only looking at it from one lens as an educator because that's all that we're used to is, well, we got to pass the SOL. We got to get them where they need to be at. We got to get them to the next grade because that's what's pushed on us as educators, right? But there's a whole nother side to that, that these kids are coming to school with some real issues, right? So for child savers and the work that we're doing, we help connect those dots with our mental health. Um, all of our clinicians are licensed clinical social workers. So they have the, you know, the background, the experience, they know what to look for. They have the the training that they need to go in and say, hey, let me show you what this looks like to our teachers. Let me be there with you. Let me provide an extra support to you because this child just experienced a loss. This child just experienced violence in their community. They wake up and they go to bed hearing gunshots every night. Um, and how do you address that and still address the learning loss? Um, learning loss is one component. There is learning loss. We we came off a very tough couple of years. The last three years has been tough for everybody. Learning loss is a term that was kind of thrown around the last couple of years. Our kids are behind. You know, how do we address this? How do we address that our kids are not achieving at the same level anymore. We're we're struggling with reading. We're struggling with writing. We're struggling with math. Um, how do we get them forward? How do we push forward? And I think that it's easy to blame COVID and the pandemic because yes, it is true. We, we we're coming out of a very tough couple of years. Our kids are behind, but the reality is, Chris, our kids were behind before pandemic. We just weren't addressing it because we were so focused in on how do we push through and how do we manage, right, Um, that we weren't really looking at our kids not being at the level that they should be at. I think we were just managing. We were we were kind of putting tape over it, but it's like with any open wound, you keep putting tape and you don't really address that, okay, well, something's really wrong, it's infected, right? And we just keep putting a Band-Aid over it. Eventually, what's going to happen is that wound is going to get infected and something's going to terribly happen to that. And we got now we really got to address it. I think now we've ripped that Band-Aid off and it's like, wow, this is infected. We, our kids are really behind. But I think it's deeper than just our kids are behind. Our t- 
teachers, we got to look at where is where are we investing our time, resource and money, right? As a school division, um, as a state, how are we helping our teachers to then help our students with the learning loss? And I think that's where we have to focus on is um, our teachers and our our investment in them because they are the ones that are going to help to continue to pour into our kids academically, socially, and emotionally. So what what does that look like, Sierra? I mean, I I think, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent if that's even possible um but the the direct um the direct impact on our kids is our teachers there is no other beside for besides the parents there's no other influential human being in a child's life than than the person they see six and a half hours a day uh five days a week uh, on most weeks so how how can we better because that's the thing i've been thinking about a lot too is how can we better take care of our teachers, show appreciation and respect for our teachers. Um, I, I think really what I'm getting at is, is aside from, um, uh, aside from the workforce, because that's what's being thrown out there right now. We've we yeah. got to strengthen the workforce. We've got to diversify the workforce. We've got to make sure we have enough, enough, um, uh, in the pipeline to, to, to make sure the workforce is, is fully staffed. Yes, we need to do that. We also have a workforce that is that we need to take care of. So what are some ideas you have for all of that? And I just hit you with a lot there, but no, what are some ideas that you have for for our people? Yeah, I actually have three. And I've been really over the couple of years, um, I've been really like trying to figure out and I've been talking to a lot of my teacher friends and people that I know that are still in the profession is like, what do y'all need? Like <laughs> if 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 you could like right now write your own um, you know, your life, if you could write this out and you could say, if you were given the opportunity to say, Hey, this is what I want. You get three, cho- three options. What would those three options be? Or what would those three choices be? And, um, I want to hit this before I say the three is that, you know, the past, well, since 2019, up until last year, 2021, we've doubled in, in our teacher shortage and vacancies. And those numbers went from 1,063 to 2,563 vacancies. Um, and that's a big, I mean, that's, that's, that's significant in that we are still, we're opening up, school just went back for us in the Hampton Roads area um, this week. And there's still, if you look on divisions websites, there's still, openings i mean and some and some critical need areas like math and science and reading and you know um and those are those are big um and so but to go back to your point um the three things that i've been able to come up with from talking with people that are in doing the work is that one like we talked about this word invest in our teachers what is that look like? Um, and it's not just incentives. I think well, a lot of divisions where their focus is on is like, okay, well, if I give you, you know, more time to plan or give you more professional learning opportunities or, okay, I'm going to, you know, I think one division had announced they were going to do every other Friday was going to be an off day for teachers. Uh, that's great. Great. You're bringing people in, you're attracting different 
people, you're you're giving teachers time, that's what they want. But I think too, you have to look on a federal and state level as to what does that look like? Because division by division is so different, but we really have to start looking at from a policy level and what does that look like for from a federal and state level? There are, there are grants that we can tap into um, for preparing our teachers and the preparation programs um, in academic areas where there are low um, numbers and very underserved, um, such as like special education, math, science. I'm thinking about some of the more STEM um, critical areas of teaching. Um, the federal programs for college and loan forgivenesses. Loan forgivenesses. So, like, even with that, I just did a um, a, a podcast actually with um, in conjunction with the White House um, recently, and I have one coming up um, about Biden's um, you know new plan for the loan forgiveness and looking at how we can encourage more teachers to look for jobs in high need schools, looking at how we can forgive some of those loans. Um, you know, teachers don't make a whole lot of money. We're not getting this profession. No, we're going to make six figures. We're doing it because we have a passion, because we love what we do, but we also have to make it more affordable so that teachers are not coming out of school with these heavy loan college, um, you know, debt, you know, um, having more options for a high quality, low cost online teacher preparation programs, and then encouraging those um, prospective teachers into profession without worrying about like I said, the debt and the loans that they will have that will really drag them down. I mean, you're like I said, again, you're not making a lot of money. So I think on a federal and state level, there's some stuff that has to be done from a policy lens to really help invest more in our teachers by reducing those loans, we're, uh, making it more affordable for the preparation programs. I've also said like Virginia is one of the hardest states <laughs> Um, it become a teacher. Like it is very hard. The the I I was actually I came from Texas and to get my stuff transferred over, um, it was a process and it took months and months and um and it was very hard. And I was still missing a few courses because of the way that Texas system is set up is so different than Virginia. And so um I ended up having to take additional classes just to be able to you know, teach what I wanted to teach. Um, but it's very hard. So you have to make that. I think the process for VDOE has to be a lot better. We're just talking Virginia in general um, in order to get those quality teachers that you want, because a lot of teachers, they they become um, discouraged with the process and, and you lose them, you know. Um, the other, the second thing is focus on comprehensive teacher evaluations. And so um, we have to stop looking at teachers just, a, just, just as a test number, like, and students. I mean, it's it's all, everything that we, we talk about uh, as far as SOLs is tied to a test number, it's tied to funding. We know that, like, you know, when they're not, when schools are not performing, those are tied to funding. And so we're, we're losing funding, we lose teachers, we lose resources, right? I mean, that's just how it goes. Um, teacher training should be ongoing. It's, it shouldn't just be pre-service. It shouldn't just be, okay, the end of the year, we got these trainings for you to do to, to say we're checking a box. It's It shouldn't just be a box checker. Um, last year for me, when I was an instructional coach, it was so discouraging that 
90% of my my 9% of my teachers were either new to the profession, meaning fresh out of the classroom, no prior experience, um, or they were long-term subs with no real experience. So it was like I was teaching them to teach their students, right? I mean, and that's fine, but when you're talking about from scratch with no time, you know, we're talking about SOL grades who they have to perform. Um, we we got to show some sort of movement and progression and progress. We're failing our teachers because we're not preparing them in their preparation programs. We're not preparing them once they come out of their profession to to. And so those teachers, first year, we lose them because it's it's a lot. Um, then we have to also help better with our like mentoring you know, mentorship. There's a lot of divisions that offer the mentoring programs, but we need more teacher leaders to step up to help train and mentor our teachers so that they can learn about those teacher effectiveness and how to be a better teacher, how to be a better instructional leader in your classroom. Um, and then the last thing is we got to do our part for the future. So we know that teachers play an important role in improving support for education for parents, public, making the public aware about what they do, um, bringing awareness, but kids still need a strong, competent, compassionate teacher. And I think right now we're in such a critical time because we're losing so many teachers, the profession, that it's like we're, we're, some divisions are just so desperate. It's like, come on, we'll take you, we'll get you trained later, but come on, if you got, if you love kids, you're passionate about the work, do it. But what are we really doing to help retain them for the long term? And so the job is more than helping students learn to read and do math, right? It's about teachers showing kids how to behave, how to help them dream, how to help them to, you know, become what they all they desire and want to become um, to reach their goals is challenging, right? It doesn't there's no like real playbook on how to do this, Um but we need people in the profession that um, can really navigate and handle their way with sometimes limited resources and support. How do you advocate for your kids? How do you advocate for what you need? Um, how do you truly make the difference in children's lives? Um, and we need to change policies. And I think I touched on that earlier, but policy is so important. And I have this model like, Policies don't change unless people do like you have to like in order for policy to change and work, we have to change the mindsets of people and how they think about those things uh, when especially when it comes to education, because we are our kids are falling through the cracks. We are not closing the achievement gap like we should. Um, and that goes back onto the people that are supposed to be leading and helping us move forward, politicians, division leaders, whoever you want to say, they're in the they're in the the realm of making real decisions and policy changes. And so, um, like I said, I personally feel like that we need to do better with preparing our teachers, investing in them. Um, all the way throughout their profession, whether you're a new teacher or you're a veteran teacher, it shouldn't stop after three years of being a new teacher. Like, I think a lot of divisions like, okay, well, you're three years in, so you don't need any more support. No, we have veteran teachers that need support. They need resources. They need tools. They need to be mentored too. 
right? Like they need somebody to help them along the way to show them the ropes because things are changing. And we saw that with COVID. Like when COVID hit, a lot of veteran teachers was like, I don't, I can't do this technology thing. I'm not used to doing Zoom. I don't even write a lesson plan. I've been using the same lesson plan for 15 years and it's been working. And now you're telling me I have to do differentiation instruction and I gotta, I gotta actually learn how to engage students. Like we lost veteran teachers because they couldn't get on, on board with we're changing and change is good, but it's scary. Um, so I think those are my three that I would focus on. Um, and helping teachers to move forward in the right direction. I think those are the three. We have to do our part for the future. Yeah, no, I appreciate so much about that. Um, so much about investing, so much about supporting, and then really helping to uh, it, redefine the system. I mean, we all have we all have a role in the three that you just outlined for us, and 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 I appreciate that so much. And of course, a shameless plug, VASCD. I mean, our focus is in two of those areas. One is is in we are the high quality professional learning. Um, source uh so we are we are there to support you whether you're on day one or in in year 30 you know we can we can help we can support we can move that we also um as you know as a, as a volunteer on our policy team are really leaning into advocacy and trying to influence legislation yep. and influence policy at at the state level um to to really help redefine because and i think you touched upon this i mean before COVID hit, the the world outside of schools was accelerating way faster than schools could keep up. The pandemic only ignited that. To uh, you know, I don't I don't know to what factor, but how how much is changing outside of a school is so much more rapid than what's changing inside of a school um, that we definitely need help system wide and and all the way through the everyone has a has a role to help support that and to accelerate it. So thank you so much um, for outlining that. I, I definitely appreciate it. And thank you so much for taking the time uh, to spend with yeah. us to to record this podcast episode. Uh, but Sierra, I, I wanna give you a chance to, to just, you know, how can the audience connect with you? Like if you said something that sparked something or something that someone would like to get to, to or or to even bring uh, child savers in uh, if, if, they're, if they're in the RVA area, but just how can we connect with you sierra sure um so I, I have a website i also um have an email that i can share so um, my website is um www.sierrachavis.com and um i also um have an email my s chavis c-h-a-v-i-s at child savers um dot o-r-g um so it's just child actually wear my shirt <laughs> Nice, but uh, child savers and um and yeah, that's how you can connect with me. I'm also on social media, Twitter, first and last name. Pretty simple to find me. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. Um, thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to be a part of this podcast. Um, I'm a little biased because I do love the VASCD. <laughs> um, very forward thinking. A lot of tools and resources that I've personally used, and I've shared out with a lot of my colleagues in the past. So um, a great, great organization to really tap into because they're doing the work um, that you don't have to do as an educator. You know, you can kind of tap into what they're doing so um, and be supportive. So thank you. 
That's right. Thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning in and, and listening uh, with Sierra Chavis on Deeper Insights. Thank you.